Welcome to Destiny Spirit Church. Thanks to Donna for inviting me to uh, preach. This is really exciting for me. I've never done this before as far as uh, we did like a little 10-minute spiel a long time ago. And so it's like, oh, you still feel a little butterflies, you know, like, you know, presenting the word of the Lord. But um, God really, he started to kind of pour this into my heart back in February and then um, kind of recently added to it. Um, and so what I wanted to do was I wanted to take you back because we just passed the six-year anniversary of September 11th, um, which was this past Tuesday. And um, I know that I can remember where I was when that happened. I'm sure all of you can remember uh, what, where you were on that uh, eventful day and how horrible it was. And I, I, I remember as well that on December, it's either 24th or 25th when that tsunami hit Asia and Indonesia, that was a pretty um, overwhelming event that was just mind-boggling. And then, of course, Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans. And so when you know you add all those events up, that's, that's a huge loss of life. I mean, amazing amount of people just wiped off the face of the earth, you know. And, you know, it's times like this that every one of us, when we watch those events, if we can kind of recall what went on when we were watching those images on television, that we had to wrestle in our hearts concerning issues, concerning God and our image of Him. And we might find ourselves asking, you know, God, were you, were you somehow involved in this? And uh, if so, how could you have allowed this? And that's a common question that everyone will ask sooner or later. It, it causes a really deep stirring in our hearts. And, you know, um, I know that I was just overwhelmed as to even know how to pray for, for the situation. And I found myself instead um, saying, you know, God, how I know you can use all kinds of events to draw people to yourself, but how do you draw people to yourself and events like that because of the overwhelming loss and catastrophe that uh, it can cause people to be really angry toward God and not have anything to do with a God that they believe might be involved with that. And so, you know, you think, why do we have these type of wrestlings in our heart when things like that happen? And I believe it's because like a two-sided coin, many of us, uh, most of us can have like this one-sided image of what a coin looks like. If you've never seen a coin before in your life and you saw it displayed on the wall, you go, oh, okay, you see the face and you go, that's what a coin is until someone comes along and they flip the coin over and they show you the other side of the coin and you go, oh, I didn't realize there was another side of that coin. It's still a coin, but there's two sides of it. And that's often how it is with God that um, when he shows a different side of himself, we get caught off guard because like, like Israel in the Old Testament times, we form this image of God in our mind. And as long as God conforms to that image of what we think he should look like, everything is just fine between me and God, right? And, um, you know, God and I, we're just buddies. As long as I can worship God according to that image, it's okay. But then when he shows a different side of himself to us, then we start to have problems. And um, I think that that's what you call idolatry because we're all guilty of it, not just Israel who actually takes and makes something out of stone or, or wood and bows down before it. We bow down to the images that we form with our own hearts and minds about what God should look like. 
and uh, that's we draw back in fear and even anger and when we can't deal with who we think God is we come up with alternate reasons to explain things away well you know it's it's uh, global warming it's it's El Nino it's La Nina it's whatever it is you know we because we can't deal with it it's overwhelming so we explain it away and the scientists do that as well and um, and when it stirs up anger, then we what do we do with that? And anger in itself is an emotion. It's neutral in and of itself. Just like we feel sad, we feel happy, we feel joyful, but we also feel anger. Now, anger is a helpful emotion in that it sends up a red flag that something is wrong. Something is wrong in our hearts. It could point often to a deeper underlying issue that's behind the anger. But anger is also helpful because it causes us to take action, to either um, change something so that it doesn't cause us more harm or destruction to other people's lives. And so anger can be helpful if expressed and, and, and dealt with. And if it's if it's hidden and pushed down for a long time, um, it goes beneath the surface. And it, 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 people express anger by open hostility toward other people or uh, God or, um, or even at ourselves if we turn the anger inward when we don't deal with it. And I want to um, point to three characters who had a one-sided image of God that they worshipped. And when God revealed the other side, this is how they responded. And the first person is Jonah. And uh, Jonah in chapter 4, he um, knew all about God's mercy and compassion. And Jonah was a, a prophet that God called to go and preach to Nineveh. And Nineveh was a pagan nation. They were the Assyrians. And they hated Israel. And they were a number one enemy of Israel. They were a very violent nation. And so God wanted them to repent or else he was going to send destruction that way. So he appointed Jonah to do that. But Jonah ran exactly geographically in the opposite direction. Boarded a ship. The ship was getting storm tossed. He was thrown overboard by his companions. Then the whale comes along, swallows him up. And then eventually he's like, okay, God, I will go. And then he gets spewed out and he goes and he preached the message. And just as he feared, Nineveh repented and God relented. He turned away because of his compassion and his mercy. And see, this angered Jonah greatly because Jonah knew intellectually, and he even told God in chapter 4, I knew that you were a God of mercy and compassion. I knew that about you, and I knew this was going to happen, and he was angry because he wanted the God that he worshipped, which is the God of justice and holiness and righteousness, to exact judgment on Nineveh. And see, that's the God that he re was revealed to Jonah, was one of love and mercy. And he, that's fine, you know, when we receive God's love and mercy, we want it shown to us. But we don't like it when God shows mercy and love toward our enemies or toward those who we don't think deserve it. And we get angry at God. And see, Jonah, he, uh, he stayed angry. And that's how the book ended. He stayed angry at God, even when God graciously came to him and said, but Jonah, there's thousands of people in the city and that many animals, and they don't know their left hand from their right hand. But see, even when God tried to explain things to him and, and come to Jonah, Jonah heard nothing of it. All right, the other character is Moses. And Moses in Numbers 20, 9 through 13, um, there's this passage here. 
And Moses was a friend of God, and Moses knew God intimately. He knew his heart, and he knew his holiness and righteousness because, after all, God gave him the written law that we read about in the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. He gave to Moses. So Moses represented God's holiness and righteousness to the people of Israel. He knew all about that side of God, and he identified with God's righteousness and holiness because the many times that Moses, that God was angry and said, Moses, just move out of the way. I'm going to put an end to these people right now. He stood in the gap. He prayed for God's mercy, and God did not judge Israel many times. He relented, but that's because Moses stood in the gap. And see, so Moses really knew how to identify with that side of God. Now, but what happened in this situation was they were out in the desert, and again, they were grumbling and complaining, we're going to die of thirst. We need water. And so God, in his grace and mercy, said, Moses, speak to the rock, and the water will come forth. And so Moses, not in God's anger, but in his own anger, thought they don't deserve anything. And so he struck the rock in his anger. And as a result, the water did come forth, but judgment came upon Moses. And his punishment was that he wouldn't go into the promised land as was originally planned. Now, I'm sure that was a very hard thing, and I bet Moses really had a wrestling match with God in his heart. In fact, that's really the title of this message is The Wrestling Match of the Heart. And Moses misrepresented God, and you see, God told Moses, I'm going to make you like God to the people, and therefore, he represented God to them. And so when he misrepresented God, They get a a messed up image of who God was. And then he was gracious and loving and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. And so um, he got off balance there. And I believe that that happens to all of us. We get off balance in how we relate to God and how he responds to us. And King David is the third character. And in 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 11, um, King David knew all about the intimacy of God and because he wrote all the, all, most of the Psalms and you see his love and his heart, you know, and he worshiped God with all of his mind and all of his heart and all of his strength. And in this episode, he defeated his enemies and he wanted to celebrate by bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem where he would take his rightful place on the throne. And he was excited about that. And so he took the Ark of the Covenant and they just threw it up on an ox cart to proceed to celebrate with instruments to come into Jerusalem. But see, that angered God, and God reached out because the ox cart was shaking, and the ark was getting ready to tumble over, and a man named Uzzah reached out to to hold it, and he got struck dead. Now, that angered David immensely. And it said in Scripture, he was also afraid of God. And the reason why is because, see, he was a worshiper, but he took God's holiness for granted. He was very cavalier about the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant. And that's how many Christians are today. They come into the house of God, and they worship God, and they want this feel-good um, experience with God, and they, they live like sinners the rest of the week. They do whatever they want. And, um, and they, you know, whatever it is across the board, because they take God's holiness for granted like David did. And when God deals with them and he reveals that side of himself, often people will shrink back in fear and anger like David or walk away from God. And, um, you know, 
David says, how is the Ark of the Covenant ever going to come to me? And that's how we are. We want what we want on our terms. And so we have to realize there's, there's different sides of God. There's his love and his mercy and his grace. There's also his holiness, his righteousness, and his justice. We all know that intellectually, but when we encounter it in real terms, it's hard. It's very hard. And we respond often like these uh, men have. Now, um, based on what I talked about, like the tsunami and uh, September 11th and the hurricane, you know, when we hear about those events and we go, gosh, you know, how can God be involved in this? This, this passage in Hosea 11 is one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament because it reveals this unbelievable glimpse of the heart of God. And so I want to read it to you in the NIV translation um, because it is just really beautiful. It's like God is giving us a glimpse into heaven and into his heart in an unbelievable way. Now, in Hosea, all the other ten chapters, God is decreeing impending judgment upon Israel, upon Judah. But here in chapter 11, there's a switch in the, in the book. And he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. And then he uh, skipped down and he says, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Edmah? How can I make you like Zeboam? My heart is changed within me. Now, he just decreed judgments in the first 10 chapters, and here God is like relenting. And he says, all my compassion is aroused, and I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I turn and devastate Ephraim. For I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come in wrath. They will follow the Lord, and he will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. And they will come trembling like birds from Egypt, like doves from Assyria. I will settle them in their, ho- in their homes, declares the Lord. That is such a beautiful passage because it shows that God is having a wrestling match of his heart because he's torn between his holiness and his righteousness and his love and his mercy and his compassion. And he's like, oh, you know, but his holiness and justice demands that he take action. And so when I hear this passage, it reminds me of a parent who has to punish a child, and they don't like to do that. It, it tears them up. They just, oh, they don't, they don't take any pleasure in, in giving their child a spanking. It just it grieves their heart. And that's who God is because he really loves Israel. And it's his very character here. And when I read this, it makes my heart secure and it gives me security to love God, even in his judgments and his decisions, because I know that he doesn't do things lightly. He's not cavalier in his decisions. What he does, he's, he's, he's wrestling over it. So when God acts, it's the perfect thing. And so that, that helps me to deal with some of these things, even when my questions don't get answered, because he's wrestling in his heart for his love for mankind. And in Psalm 119, 75, this is our response to God. 
It says, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Now that word judgment in this and the original Hebrew is actually decisions. So it's like, I know, O Lord, that your decisions are righteous. Your decisions regarding nations, your decisions regarding our community, your decisions regarding our church and our individual lives. See, that gives me peace because God always does things, even in his judgments, to, turn, to cause us to turn our hearts toward him. You know, God doesn't guarantee an easy road in our relationship with him. And we'll be stretched in many ways, but the closer we get to the true image of God, then more in all of him that we become and the deeper our love for him will be. And it'll be a love that is based on his true nature and not that one that we have designed in our preferred image that makes us comfortable. The reason why I can identify with these biblical characters is because they're flesh and blood and I don't stand in judgment of Jonah or Moses, or David, or anyone in scripture for that matter, because I am human too, and I can identify with your humanity, and then I see, well, this is how God responded to them, and then I know this is how to expect God to respond to me, because I can identify with them, and you know, um, and and our weaknesses, you know, we can't wrap our minds and our, our hearts around the bigness of God, and so we have to wrestle with, and have a wrestling match with him, And see, our hearts are at stake, and that's why we have to go through it and wrestle with these things, because our hearts are at stake. And, you know, true intimacy with God does not mean never questioning God, because I see questioning of God in Scripture all throughout Scripture. And he's not ever surprised by our reactions, because he knows we're just flesh and blood. It's our willingness to say to God, you know, God, I'm confused about you right now. Or I'm just darn right angry with you. And so many times I feel like our prayer, because we all want to experience God on a deeper level, is to say, Lord, help my heart be more secure in my love for you. Because, see, God loves us immensely. It's our hearts that need to be secure in that love. And Proverbs 4.23, we've got to prepare ourselves because it says, above all else, above everything else, God tells us, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And that's the NIV. The NASB says, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Now, that doesn't mean to shut your heart down or let it go hard or calloused or indifferent toward things. It's just the opposite. It means watch over your heart because it's where life flows. It's where the life of God flows in to me and where it flows out to others. So I have to guard my heart. And so when I experience these things in my heart, then it's a warning sign for me. Okay, I've got to deal with some stuff so that my heart won't grow cold or indifferent. You know, Jesus warned that in the last days there would be an apostasy which means that those who once loved and followed God would fall away from him. He's not talking about those who never come to Christ. He's talking about the people of God. And the explanation that he gave is because their love for God and man grew cold. And you know, a heart does not grow cold overnight. 
You're not one day on fire for God and the next day cold. It happens slow and insidiously through the events of our lives. Our heart grows cold before we know it. We don't even know what's going on in us until God shows us. And so when hard times come, we can become angered at God and have little compassion for people or those who are angry at the world or ungrateful or at shaking their fist at God or at the government. And, you know, but God's mercy and compassion demands that we have his heart for them because to love the unlovely is required because we too are unlovely. Many times we're very unlovely and God still loves us. So we have to be lovely, loving toward others. You know, when we ask as a church, we're always asking, God, reveal your glory, reveal yourself to us. And he goes, okay. And then he reveals a different side of him and we don't like it. You know, and it because it comes at unexpected times. It's easy to love God when things are going your way. Oh, it's very easy to love God when blessings are being poured out upon you. But to equate blessings with intimacy is not always the case. See, God will bless because that's who he is. But that doesn't mean you have intimacy with God. Because if the reverse was happening and blessings you felt like were not being poured out over you, then you might believe that he is angry at you or he's rejecting you or he's an unloving God. Or you'll say, what's wrong with me? And I know because I've done it. I've walked through that road. And, you know, we can have the greatest intimacy with God even when we're angry at him. We don't think of that as intimacy. We think of intimacy with God as something as a feel-good um, um, time with him. And that's not true. Intimacy with God is, can be when we're downright angry with him because he's drawing near to us and he's stirring things up in us. And that's when we can learn a different side of God's grace and mercy toward us. And that's why he exhorts us to seek him now while he may be found now. Now, the person, we talk about like on a national level or international level, hard things happening. But a man that I wanted to focus on, the, the main tonight, is uh, Jacob and his wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. So turn to Genesis chapter 32. And the background as you're turning to Genesis chapter 32 and verse 24 is that Jacob is a patriarch of Israel. And Jacob... Um, had been away from home, his family, his father, for about 20 years living with his uncle. And the reason why was because he and his mother had deceived a plan to deceive the, his father by taking his brother's birthright and blessing under deception because uh, his father told his brother Esau, go and, pre and prepare a meal for me so I can eat it and bless you before I die. And so um, Jacob really wanted the father, that father's blessing on him. And so uh, by his mother telling him this idea, I want you to go in, pretend to be your brother, because obviously his father was old and blind, and, um, and then get, prepare the meal, and we'll take it in, and you'll get the blessing. And so the, when, the, when it was discovered what happened, uh, his brother said, I'm going to kill him, I'm going to kill him. And so his parents sent him off to live with his uncle, you know, to keep him out of harm's way. Now, in this chapter 32, um, Jacob knows now from the Lord telling him, it's time to go back to your father's land. And so Jacob's like, oh boy. So uh, he sent the head messengers to let Esau know that I'm coming. And so his messengers were returning and say, okay, Esau got the message and he's coming to meet you um, with 400 men. 
Well, what do you think? Do you think Esau got over it? I don't think so. You're going to greet your brother after 20 years with 400 men? I think he intended on doing great harm to Jacob. I think so. And so in this passage, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. And so what he did is he planned a plan for self-protection. He divided all of his people into groups and droves and sent one ahead and then the next one thinking, well, if the first one gets attacked, maybe the, the next group will find out and escape. And of course, who went last? Jacob. Nice, isn't it? Nice of Jacob. What a nice guy. I'm going to send all of my family out ahead of me. And you know, this is what this is what we do when we walk in the fear of man. When we walk in the fear of man in our life, we will put other people at risk and we will put other people in harm's way. Maybe not in such a grand way as this, but we do it in subtle ways. We will let other people take take the heat. And so um, to protect ourselves. Now, Esau did call on God on prayer, and he said, Oh, God, this is your promises to bless me and my father, and you know, my father's blessing, you know, and I'm just reminding you, God, of what you promised me. And, uh, and I'm really afraid about my brother. He's going to kill me and the mothers and the children. And so he did proclaim the promises of God, and, but he was still afraid. In fact, his fear was greater to him right at that moment than the promises of God. They weren't as real to him. And I can relate to that, that everything that's built up inside of you is bigger than the promises of God. Until we get a new revelation of God, we can be just like that. We can have a distorted one of God, and we can relate to him, and we can't receive the benefit of what we proclaim with our mouth. And so I wanted to um, read this passage about Jacob wrestling in verse 24. It says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, so the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please tell me your name. But he said, Well, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Peniel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew of the hip, which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. Now, you know, we all want to feel God's love. And see, Jacob, he felt very unworthy of God's love and protection at that moment. And so, just as he felt about his father Isaac. And, you know, he wrestled with this angel of the Lord all night out of fear. Well, many times that's what people say, well, he wrestled because of the fear. And I don't think so. Because, see, he already addressed the issue about fear before this. But, you know, back in Genesis 27, 11, when he and his mother were discussing the plans, this is what he had said to his mother. He says, Behold, 
Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me. Then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. Well, you know, this is how we are with God, because we're afraid to come near to God. We're so afraid of him because we know when we draw near to God, he will feel us. He will feel us. And then he will know exactly who I am. See, I will be really revealed because when I draw near to God, we'll be that close because you have to draw near to your father like Jacob did to be touched. Okay? And so we're afraid that God will find us out. And as a result, he'll be angry with us and he will curse us or he'll reject us. And that's our fear. We're afraid of confrontation. You know, but God is not man. You know, we can come to him in the righteousness of a Christ. We come from a position of total acceptance by the blood of Christ. And therefore, when we come to him, we don't have to worry about his wrath. So no matter how we come to him, God will speak kind to us. He will correct us. But out of love, he wants to encounter us. And see, you know... When we don't come near to God, then we operate out of deception like Jacob did. We deceive ourselves and we deceive others, but we can't deceive God because he knows everything. Now, when I have heard over the years about this passage about Jacob wrestling with an angel of the Lord until daybreak, sometimes it was actually presented in a negative light. And I've even heard this one gentleman say, you know, when you wrestle with God, he always wins. Well, what does that imply? It implies that we lose. That's what it implies. And that sends a message to me for a long time that it isn't safe to wrestle with God. Because if I wrestle with God, I might get hurt. And I'm going to lose anyways. So why wrestle with God? You see, and that is a wrong image. That is a black and white thinking of God. And see, we have that mentality at times. And people who experience different traumas in their life develop a black and white mentality about God, about others, and they interpret life's events through that filter of this black and white of either a winner or loser or right or wrong. And that's black and white mentality. And that's not who God is because Romans 8 says that God is for us and not against us. He wants us to prevail like Jacob and be his victorious ones. He is on our side. He's not interested in us being a loser. And so he wants a win-win situation because that's what he said about Jacob. You have striven with God and with man and you have prevailed. Not necessarily getting your own way means prevailed over the things that have been struggling. He wanted them to be an overcomer. You know, God says this about the wicked in Ezekiel 18.23. He says, Do I have any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord, rather than they should turn from his ways and live? You see, that's how God is. See, we're in relationship with God. And so he invites, even initiates a wrestling match with us because he sent the angel of the Lord to Jacob when he pulled away by himself to wrestle with him on some things. Because that's who God is. He set it up. And so he knew that Jacob needed to confront some things. He had prevailed. That word prevailed and striven in their original meanings is used differently here than anywhere else in Scripture. It's in a positive context here. We are all working out our salvation throughout our life. And you know, 
God is reassuring us that it's okay because many people don't think it's okay to wrestle with God on things, but it's okay. And it, you know, if you love someone, you work through things, right? When you have a spout, uh, when you have a disagreement with your spouse, you don't walk away. You might wrestle with them on some things, but because you love them, you're willing to work through it. And see, when you value your relationship with God, you are willing to work through it. You know, if you don't care at all about someone and they offend you, you just walk away. There's nothing invested in it. But when you do care you're, and you love them, you're willing to work through it. It doesn't mean you have a lack of faith for wrestling with issues of, of the heart with God. It means just the opposite. You have enough faith to wrestle with someone you believe exists, to disagree with them or to question them. You know, so it is okay to work it out. You know, Jacob's heart was really revealed in this, you know, and I'm amazed about this passage because I remember reading it many years ago thinking he wrestles all night long with an angel of the Lord. And the first thing that Jacob said was, I will not let you go until you bless me. He said nothing about Esau. He said nothing about his fear of his brother at that time. It revealed that all along his heart was that he wanted to be blessed by his father. And he had been doing that since birth. And you go back and you read in Genesis 25 how he came out of the birth canal he, grasping his brother's heel. You know, we we're born into sin. And so he tried to, by supplanting his brother, by deception, you will go through life trying to get what you want because you don't really believe that God's going to give it to you. And we do it all the time. And he says... So that passage, I'm like, wow, it points back that he didn't feel loved by his father. And so he operated out of that. He hadn't, even though a blessing was given to him by his father, and even though through, before this scenario, Jacob had other encounters with God, and God reassured him, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to multiply your descendants. But you see, the reason why is that he never had peace he never had real assurance in his heart that he was going to be blessed because he got it out of deception. So no peace comes when you get things out of deception. And so right here, that's what this whole struggling match was, was about the striving for the Father's blessing. And he was doing it out of his own strength. And, you know, he prevailed because he got a name change. You know, God doesn't change your name unless something has changed within you. And now... I want to comment about the hip being out of joint because that's an interesting passage to me too. And I know it was a sign of, of humility at the end, but I believe it pointed to something deeper. See, Jacob was wrestling all night long and the angel of the Lord said to him, let me go for dawn is breaking. Because see, Jacob in his own strength, he would have continued for years like he had been all of his life striving and struggling with God and with people. And God, out of his mercy and out of his compassion, had appointed this time for him that, Jacob, it's time for the striving to end. I want you, son, to have a breakthrough. And out of his mercy, he made his hip be dislocated. Now, you know, that's pretty daggone painful, I can imagine. And he continued to wrestle in the pain. Now, you know that something was going to happen. You know what happens when you're in pain. You say things that are not said at any other time in your life. When you're in a lot of physical pain and when you're in a lot of emotional pain, you will reveal your heart like no other time in your life. You can fool people lots of times, 
but when you feel a lot of pain, your heart is being exposed. And so that's what happened. See, he revealed, I want the Father's blessing. That's what I really want. I want the Father's blessing. And so that's what the Lord wanted him to reassure him all along, you know, because he didn't feel loved by his, his earthly father, and it carried over to his relationship with God. See, to get the breakthrough, he had to feel the pain. And many times we can struggle for years with depression, with anger, with every other issue under the sun and never get a breakthrough until God brings us to a place of pain. And then our hearts are revealed and then the healing comes. And see, it's interesting that this happened at dawn because see, God is the God of the breakthrough. And the God of the breakthrough was breaking through at dawn. He didn't want, the night of the dark wrestling of the soul is over. Dawn is breaking, Jacob, and I'm going to come through for you. See, God does everything by plan. See, it's symbolic. It has meaning. At dawn, your breakthrough is coming. God is showing up. And so that's, you know, what I want to say is that many times we want to get our breakthroughs in life, but we don't think it should involve any pain. We want the easy way, just like that commercial for Staples office supplies where they press the big easy button. We all love to find that big easy button, but there isn't one. There is no big easy button, you know, because we want to just say, God touched me supernaturally, and sometimes God does that. But I tell you, it usually comes a long, hard route, and it involves pain, and it gets messy at times. It gets messy, and, and there's a lot of struggle that's involved. And you know what? That's when you learn something about God you're never going to learn any other way. When things come easy, you don't really find out about God's amazing grace when things come easy. It's when it comes hard that you learn about God's grace towards you. And so I, I just want to encourage you that to get real with God. Because, see, hidden things like hidden pain and anger, it reveals a deeper issue behind that. And it keeps us from believing God's promises, see? So that wrestling match is for your good. It's not for your, it's not for your harm. You know, I've, I've heard people say that, oh, God, I had to repent after struggling with God some, on some issue. It's like, no, they were getting real with God. And then that religious spirit comes in and makes you feel guilty for having this wrestling match. And so we apologize for God for even struggling. I've been guilty of the same thing. You know, God says, come on, get real. That's what he wants us to do. He wants us to get real with him. You know, we're working out our salvation. You know, do we really think that interacting with God only comes here in church? through sermons, through praise and worship, through Bible reading and prayer. No. Interaction with God is on all levels of our life. When we're by ourselves, we could be just walking on the beach. We could be driving in the car, and we can have an amazing experience with God. You know, And so he wants to come to you because of his love. He knows that we're just but dust and that we need his help. You know, now, see, Jacob was afraid of that punishment with God. And notice his revelation about who God was, was after this wrestling match and he got the name change. He says, I have seen the face of God and have lived. And see, many times we're afraid that we're not going to survive it. But it's not true. See, Jacob realized it. And I believe that Jacob never complained about his hip being out of joint. He was so excited to have seen the face of God, that he probably didn't care about the limp. And we all will walk through life with a limp. 
because as long as you walk on this side of heaven, life is going to throw a lot of curveballs at us, and we will walk with a limp, but we will gain something bigger out of it, which is intimacy with God. And see, from personal experience, I can tell you that at one point, God arranged nicely for these people to be all in my life at the same time, and they all pushed the exact same buttons in my life. It was the same one, as if God was saying, Laura, have you had enough yet? Have you had enough yet? And see, (laughs) and you know what? I finally did have enough, and I got so angry, and I yelled at God in my house at the top of my lungs. I think I was screaming at him because I was so mad, and what he was wanting to get out of me was righteous anger that I had buried for years about how people were treating me and how I was being taken advantage of and just lots of things, and so he set me up. I'm telling you, God set me up big time. God does set you up. But at the time, he feels like your enemy. And in scripture, it's like, God, you're like an enemy to me. God definitely felt like my enemy. And so we can blame Satan for everything. Anytime something negative happens in our life, it's the enemy, it's the enemy, I rebuke you. But you know what? Sometimes, hello, it might be God. It might be God setting you up because when he does it, it's for your deliverance. It's for your own good, not to harm you. But we can't discern it when we go through it. And that's okay because God will get you through to the other side. He is very gracious, you know, because for years, you know, I've stuffed this stuff down and I tried to be gracious and forbearing with people. And instead I was being a carpet. And so God taught me a lot of things from then on about boundaries, and he showed me where my faults were. You know, he's very gracious, and he will do it. I never felt any rejection from God by yelling at him at the top of my lungs. He never pulled away from me, and he never rejected me. It was part of my journey. And see, when we don't like the way people interact with us or respond to us, we have to ask God, change me. See, because when things change in us, People will interact with us differently. And see, after this encounter with Jacob, when he finally met his brother, his brother ran to him and embraced him. And then what did Jacob said? Oh, brother, it, to see your face is like to see in the face of God. And see, that thing in Jacob, that deceiver part of him, was gone. And as a result, his brother had a change of heart. And something took place. And then when he gave the gifts to his brother and insisted on it, it wasn't out of placating. And see, it came from a different position. Because see, when we don't feel accepted by God or by others, we will placate them. We'll be people pleasers. We'll do things and give gifts to try to earn their approval. Or we'll just trip over ourselves trying to be the helpful person in our workplace or in our relationships because we're afraid of their rejection. We're afraid of not being accepted by them, or we're afraid of confrontation, and that's what fear of man will do. And see, Jacob said, out of a grateful heart, please, brother, I insist you have these gifts. And see, that's what happens when we have an encounter with God. Now, I wanted to tell you about my story 
about my dogwood tree. Now, a couple of you have heard only a part of the story, but you didn't hear the whole story. I wasn't prepared at the time to give it to you. And so my testimony is this, that, that Mike and I had this dogwood seedling grow in our yard, a dogwood tree, and we transplanted it to a nicer place in the yard, and it grew to this beautiful tree. It was like 10 to 12 feet tall and wide and had a, a trunk on it, probably what, about that big? about that big around, pretty good size. It was a beautiful tree. And every year, I would wait for that tree to flower in May, and it wouldn't flower. And I would be so disappointed. And year after year, that tree would not bloom. So one year, just like Jesus, I was like, I put you in there, and I could take you out if you don't give me flowers next year. <laughs> and you know what? I think it was shaking in its roots, because the next spring, it threw out maybe five flowers. <laughs> Well, you know what? <laughs> you know, it wasn't a very beautiful flowering tree, though. It still was never spectacular. And then one year, now this is like 10 years have gone by, 10 years. And I was coming home from the gym, and I had worked out for like two hours at the gym, so I had a good workout. It was a beautiful spring day, blue sky. I'm driving down my street, and the dogwood trees of my neighbors were in full, spectacular bloom. They were glorious. I'm like, oh, Lord, what a beautiful day. Oh, look at the dogwood trees. And then my mood switched 180 degrees. That stupid dogwood tree of mine doesn't have a single stick of flower on it. That's it. I've just had it. I'm going home right now, and I'm going to cut it down. And I just had a two-hour workout at the gym. You know what? That's what I did, man. I got out my handsaw. I got out my loppers, and I got out an axe, baby. Now, you know, I'm little, and an, <laughs> and an axe comes up to me like here, and it's heavy. You know, and I'm not exactly Mighty Mouse, but I had a good adrenaline rush going. <clears throat> so... I started with the handsaw, and I'm like, man, it doesn't cut it. I started with the axe, you know, and even though that stupid axe was dull, I still used it. It was satisfying. <laughs> Something about an axe, it was satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> but see, what happened to me was as I was cutting that tree down, the anger started coming, and I felt so much anger and pain coming up out of me like I hadn't felt and I'm telling you I felt so much pain and I had to hold back the tears because it's not good to swing an axe with blurry vision <laughs> so so you know I held back the tears and I cut that tree down and when it fell my tears came like a flood and I cried so hard and so long and I poured out my complaint to God and you might say, well, Laura, I hope you felt better. No, I didn't feel better. I, I felt awful. I was in a lot of pain. And I was physically exhausted. It took me an hour to cut the tree down. And I was mentally exhausted. And so, but I, it was part of my journey. And I can tell you that <clears throat> what happened is that that tree represented my life. See, every year that I would look in the spring and not see flowers on that tree, it's how I felt about my life. I wasn't seeing fruit. And all the things that I've been hoping for from God and all the things that I've been dreaming about were not happening in my life. It represented lots of things in my life. And so it was a constant reminder in front of my face of how I felt about me and my failures, and I hated my life. 
And so a tree had to go. I knew that a tree had to be cut down because it was in front of my face. Who wants to be reminded of that every year? And so I cut it down. And I was surprised a few days later, the Lord said to me, I'm so pleased that you cut it down. And I was like, really? <laughs> wow, not what I expected. And I have replaced it since with, an tree, with a shrub that grows large whose leaves are always green. It should sound familiar. See, I had to get real with God, and many times we're afraid or ashamed of having anger. And so it just goes under, undercover, and it's hidden behind depression and physical things or critical spirit toward others. And even sarcasm and humor can hide anger and other issues. I used to be, many, many years ago, very sarcastic. And I didn't know it at the time that that was a form of anger. You know, now many people say that a dogwood tree represents Christ, the white flower being his purity, and the brown blotches being his nailed scarred hands, and the red fruit being the blood, and the tree itself being the cross. And so I put all my anger and pain onto that tree. Just as Christ's life was cut down for me, that tree had to be cut down. Because, you know, see, Christ can be someone that we give credence to, but he's not really real until we put on him what he already died for. I can't, I couldn't keep bearing this load for any more years that I've been carrying it. And so when I put it on the tree, I put it on Christ. I put it on the cross. It was very tangible to me, you know, and that's why the tree had to come down. See, because Jesus already bore it away. He bore my griefs and my sorrows, not just our sins, but also our grief and our sorrow by giving it to him. You know, we're not meant to carry those burdens because, see, I was putting that anger toward myself. I carried it and I turned it inward. And so by putting it out, it was an unburdening. So when that tree fell, the release came in a way that I wasn't seeing yet, but it was. It was an unburdening of things that I've been carrying for way too long. And sometimes the cross, that's the centrality of our faith, and it gets lost in all of our other messages. And sometimes we got to come back to the message of the cross. You know, and many of us have gone to the cross you know, for our salvation. But I want to tell you that even though that was many years ago that I went to the cross the first time, throughout our life, we have to make many trips to the cross, not just one. You know, we can try to get healed without involving emotions or pain, but it doesn't happen that way. Just like Jacob, you got to get through the pain to get to the, the freedom that we want. See, God sees us for who we really are, and he says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We can give lip service to God in worship. We can declare his promises all we want, but we know that our hearts aren't always engaged because I know that mine wasn't. I tried declaring and declaring and declaring and declaring promises. How many times? 500? 5,000? When will my heart catch up? I was trying to drag my heart to be in agreement and it wasn't working because I hadn't dealt with the anger and anything else that lies beneath it. See, and so I had to get through to the pain. And of course, forgiveness is always involved, you know. So we can't just do lip service. Our hearts have to be engaged. And if your heart's not engaged, then that's when you need 
an encounter with God, to get real with God, or to get real with others, because you know what? He loves us perfectly. And if you don't feel like you have freedom to get real with another person, at least get alone and get real with God. If you have to yell them at the top of your lungs, then do it, you know, because he loves us perfectly. And I want to say that, you know, I've accepted the life of process, of, of journey. It takes a lifetime. Many of us think we can just get perfectly healed up and then I'll be okay. But you know what? God's dealing with us all the time. I know I'm not finished. And just like the songs they sing, I'm pressing on. I'm reaching forward for the prize, you know. And so I know he still has to deal with me on stuff. But, you know, life involves a fight. And I'm talking about the fight for your heart. Because if you lose heart and your heart grows cold and calloused, that's when the enemy has won. And that's a frightening place to be. I don't want to lose my heart. And so you have to fight, church, for your heart. Don't let the enemy steal or dishearten your heart. And you, even if you can't relate to this message now, maybe you just haven't lived long enough because one of these days you will encounter something where you're going to be angry with God. Because I know I almost lost my heart. And so we have to wrestle through with these things and our one-sided images. And I know it's just a process, but God gets me through to the other side. And so some of you might be wrestling with those type of issues or like the beginning of my message about a one-sided image of God, you know, and so, and your disappointment with God or fear of man. And so you might need to take another trip, take another trip to the cross. That's where you get your, your freedom. Now, if there's any of you here that never even made just even the first trip to the cross, you never really gave your life to Christ, there's power in it. I mean, who would have ever thought by cutting down my tree that, I, that it would become so real to me? And so if you want to make a trip to the cross for the first time and experience his power, then I'm giving the invitation that after I close in prayer, come forward and one of us will pray for you so that you'll know the power of God's grace through Jesus Christ. And so this is my prayer. If you want to close your eyes. Lord, I ask, Father God, that you would secure and direct our hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. Lord, I ask that you would help all of us to see the one-sided image that we sometimes have of you, God. Give us comfort when this distorted image of you causes great heartache. Change our black and white thinking. Correct us so we do not stay unchanged. But please, Lord, do so gently and mercifully. Give us the grace we need to be real with you in our struggles and with each other. Give us the courage we need to face those hidden areas of pain. Teach us to guard our hearts so we do not grow cold toward you or others when difficult things occur. Help our love for you to grow deeper and stronger so that we can help lead many sons to become sons of righteousness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about Destiny Spirit Church or additional teaching CDs or training events, please visit our website at www.destinyspirit.com or you can write to us at Destiny Spirit Church, P.O. Box 15252, Chesapeake, Virginia. 23328. Thank you.